0: I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. Today's podcast is an exciting conversation about the current state of ESNG. Environment, social, governance. What is happening to those terms? How have those terms been hijacked by a small but very vocal group to twist and turn the true meaning? With our ESG discussion, we're going to talk about what is the role of boards? Why is this so important for recruiting the best talent? How ESG absolutely accelerates innovation. And I have two amazing guests with me, Judy Samuelson from the Aspen Institute, and then David Young. He's Managing Director and a Senior Partner from BCG, fabulous global consulting firm. So welcome to the show, Judy and David. Thanks. Thank you, Carol. Okay, so why don't we just jump into it. So Judy, tell our listeners a little of your background.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Dave. Great to be doing this with you. I started out and I grew up in California, where I happen to be today. I live in New York City, but I grew up in California, worked in state government, in the state legislature after college, came east for a business degree, moved to New York to take a job in commercial banking. It was real banking, real almost street banking in the Garment Center of New York City. Did that for a number of years and then uh, joined the team at the Ford Foundation that today would be their social and kind of social impact investing team and ran that program for uh, close to a decade. And it was during that period of time that we started looking more closely at the role of corporations. We were actually prompted by... executives who sat on the board of trustees of the Ford Foundation who started saying, why don't we talk more about the business sector? After all, we're in the business of community and economic development. How about business's role? And that kind of set me on a journey that I'm still on today. I left Ford with a grant to start the program that I still lead today, which is the Business and Society Program at the Aspen Institute. The uh, the Business and Society Program is about aligning business decision-making with the long-term health of society. And I would just say that, you know, we believe deeply that we need business at the at the table to solve our most complex problems and that there's some incredible capacities and talents that reside in the business sector and our work is about
0: unleashing unleashing that capacity. I love I love the unleashing that capacity. And so talking about unleashing, David, give us a little bit about your background.
2: Oh, Carol, thanks for having me on your program and particularly being able to joined the program here with Judy. Today I'm a senior partner and managing director at BCG. I was actually came to the firm uh after 7 years in industry in the bearing and steel industry. And then I joined our Chicago office back in 1988 and had assignments in in different offices including Asia uh, and around the world and today I'm a senior partner leading our topic on sustainability as competitive advantage and ESG strategy. Prior to returning to the firm seven uh, years ago, I spent a decade as the global chief operating officer of World Vision International, where I had accountability for its 41,000 staff doing long-run community development, humanitarian and emergency response, advocacy, and microfinance, uh, really making uh, a, you know an exciting and positive difference in the lives of over 150 million children a year, and of course, championing the progress on the SDGs. So it's a real pleasure to be on the show and certainly to have this conversation with Judy on where we are with ESG.
0: Now, ESG has been in the news, gosh, for at least the past year or so. It's gotten really heated up. And it's gotten into political wars and cultural wars and such. But let's just go back. Let's unpack this. What is ESG at its core? So, Judy, why don't you start?
1: Wow, what isn't it? Uh, it's, it's probably a shorter a shorter list today. But I I guess <laughs> I would approach it through two two kind of ways of thinking about it. It's a way of thinking about. What are the impacts that business has or the domains in which business needs to kind of sharpen its focus and be considerate of the, the consequences of business decisions that we used to say that kind of land outside the gate? You know, business has a tendency to kind of think of its, itself, its own kind of defines its own success in certain ways. And of course, that takes it into the competitive space and it thinks about customers and it thinks about other ways that that they can think about their revenue generation and, um, you know, the S, the social issues, the E, the environmental considerations. Um, And then G, the governance part of this. And that's really very much where our work resides in a way because we're very much about how how are decisions made? How do you make high-quality decisions that stand the test of time?
2: When I'm talking to uh, executive teams, And we get into this, uh, how should I think about ESG? I always describe it as, look, it's the explicit recognition of material externalities that are created by your business on its stakeholders in those areas of environment and social impact and governance. But I also take the idea a bit further. And I ask people to think very deeply about how a business impacts internally and externally its economic vitality, environmental sustainability, the lifetime well-being of its employees and its customers and those it touches in community, the ethical capacity, the enabling of society, and then, of course, access, equity, diversity, and inclusion. So those externalities, if you want to, uh, those impacts that the business creates, both inside and outside, are going to be material to the investment proposition of the business and actually the resilience of the business over time. If you're a tech business today and you're not, uh, you know, don't have a good uh, employee value proposition, recognizing the equity, diversity and inclusion of a wide range of talents, guess what? Your business depends on that talent. It's gonna have trouble over time. So while it's these kinds of things don't explicitly sort of appear on the company's financial statements today, they're nonetheless signals about where those financials may be headed. Ultimately, what the investor wants is a high quality, competitively resilient company, and they're looking for insight beyond what's sitting there in the backward-looking financials of the business. So this whole thing, if it's really done well, is is just a lens into the performance of the corporation in ways that might make a difference over time.
1: Part of the complexity is, of course, that not all investors want the same things. And that I'm sure we'll get more into that, but that's one of the real kind of conundrums today. Is that particularly in public markets that there are so many there are investors that you know they're all they're looking at is a return tomorrow or next week or you know short term under a year, um, and that you it, that's not where the lines you know start to converge between value creation for the investor and for the firm, and so that's a that's a particular domain that a lot of people have to focus on to try to get this right. Yeah, I would agree with that, Judy.
0: Yeah, I I know that there some of the critics, and there are lots of critics and lots of, you know, proponents, say that the metrics aren't solved yet, that there's no like one single approved set of metrics, so that the ES and G reporting is parallel. So how do you feel about that? And how are we are we getting closer to one set of metrics?
2: I would say the one thing that I find helpful is the concept of materiality, right? And you'll hear that a lot in space. And materiality really says, look, what are the things most material, most important to critical stakeholders and to the performance of the business over time? And that connection is how I get the managerial and the investor to happen Now, are the metrics there today? Are the correct, correct metrics there? I think it's a great question. No, right? And I put down the messiness of what's going on today to kind of growth pains. Um, if we sort of think about this, you know, ask ourselves, where were we 10 years ago? Where were we five years ago? Things are remarkably different in context, right? We have a real messiness going on because we're working through this real time across all industries, You know, we're looking for transparency, we're looking for disclosure, we're looking for accountability of these externalities. And so the burden, in my mind, falls very much onto the company to be just razor sharp about what matters, who are the stakeholders, what really matters to them, and how does what matter to them or what should matter to them connect to my business, and what am I doing about it, and why does that make me a better company, and a better investment. So it's going in the right direction. The starting point, though, is the clarity of the company about what it's actually paying attention to and why that makes it a better business.
0: So David, it sounds like you're talking about notes and a melody. So it's both metrics and then the song or the symphony. So I'm curious from both of you. Um, boy, it's a conundrum out there. So how do you, I mean, from a communication standpoint, uh, you've got the metrics and you've got various reporting frameworks, but you also have the melody. What do you suggest to your clients and colleagues about how you tell the story so it's authentic and it comes from materiality? If a company,
1: to be able to speak authentically to this, they really need to know who matters, in order to deliver on the supply chain, in order to, you know, who who's granting the license to operate it? They're dependent on certain minerals or on certain kinds of inputs that are the, you know, domain of certain jurisdictions. All of these things require. So you can't you can't think through the long term health of the enterprise without thinking about who do I need who am i on who am i truly dependent where's the mutual relationships that are going to be and sometimes it's working with competitors sometimes it's working outside of your own industry sometimes it's working across lines and you know brings us into you know kind of some of these new and exciting i think areas of of kind of co-creation with with people in the nonprofit sector and ngos that may be the guardians of something that is very very critical to your you know to your your product i think that the employees are in a remarkably important piece of this puzzle, and that they, and unlike investors, they actually are the short-term investors. They are very, pretty much long-term. The employees, ironically, are a better window into both the outside and the inside. And they're the ones who are managing the supply chain. They're the ones who pick up the sensibility of the of the customer and and. And they they see the cracks between the intentions and the execution because they live it. And,
0: and I love that you're saying that because for over two decades, I've been talking as employees as the number one stakeholder. And now most recently, when we're constantly in a war for talent, whether we're upsizing, pivoting or whatever. We're in a war for talent. And I know you said that, David. You know, and I was interviewing um, Alan Murray from Fortune and I said, how do you get the message out, Alan? And he said, it's right in front of you. It's your employees. But I want to get back to the public markets because that's where ESG plays so much. And so I'd like to ask both of you, how the heck did we lose control of this? And all of a sudden you've got Governor DeSantis and you're talking woke capitalism and uh, culture wars. And so how did we get here? What happened?
1: I think there's two stories of how we got there. Um, Maybe many more. Climate, climate, climate is one story. It is we're we're living it. We have a generation that is painfully aware that they they will see much more than us boomers who have you know from their vantage point, and they they're not necessarily wrong. Have screwed a lot of things up here in terms of conservation and using resources well and. We've lived in an environment of cheap goods and and consumption as uh, drier in the economy, and of course that's created a lot of wealth, which leads me to the second part of this, which is we are sadly living in an area of growing inequality in the United States this isn't okay you know and the the ramifications of running an economy that is I'd say is continuing to reduce inequality when we're talking about public markets. I mean there's you know, the stock market is not a equalizing machine here, it is a disequalizing machine. And so to the extent that we amplify the stock price, or that's that's the if that's the main target, you know, it it it, it grows inequality because the market is not it's not held equally. You know, about 50% of Americans participate in the stock market, but the vast majority of them have very little holdings. And so that, to me, is the biggest connection back to the political environment we're living through now, where people don't trust much of anything. They certainly don't trust government. They, You know, we talk about trust in business, but the trust is really uh, thinner than we then we acknowledge and we see you know, the data on the trust barometer, because it's really about the ability to get things done. And that's what's, that's what's deeply trusted by in the, in the private sector. But what is it we're getting done? You know, What does the business exist to do? And um, it raises lots of questions for me.
2: I think the things you pointed out, Judy, are very real. And I think that they actually pose a risk to the sustainability of the business context, Right. Fundamentally, you know, what this should be about is is creating higher quality, more competitive and resilient companies, more competitive and resilient industries and a more competitive and resilient country. And those things are not possible if the underlying fabric posed by a lack of attention to externalities causes these various, various issues, whether it's the emissions driving down biodiversity causing water stress, exasperating inequalities, right? Those things are not good for business over time. And when we're not clear about that, when we sort of as sustainability professionals or as ESG communicators or however however you want to think about it, when we don't constantly re-educate people, now, what we're really trying to do here is get those quality companies, right, is to build those more competitive industries, is to have a more competitive country that is that is geared for the future, that is fit for the future. But if we start crowding everything in, if I believe as a CEO I have to comment on everything, then I'm opening myself up for, you know, ba- basically acting like I'm an expert on things that, frankly... That's not what the company is about. That's not the things that are going to drive value creation over time, and it's not the things that are going to bring us to a business context that's better over the long run.
0: And David, in our in our pre interview, you talked about you talked a lot about innovation, and and I think that you know how do we get the conversation shifted from politics? Are you red or are you blue? Are you to more about healthy, growing businesses that help to innovate towards climate or health equity or such, how do we get there? And I know there's no magic answer, but any suggestions? Because our listeners are sitting here going like, we have to understand our materiality, we have to understand our risks, we have to manage to them, and then we have to help grow.
2: This, Judy and I have talked about this unique moment we're in before, which on one hand, there's all those things, Judy, that you've described. On the other hand, this represents the single biggest transformation of the industrial base and socioeconomic platforms in the last four or five decades. This is a very, very big deal, and our excitement should be over the opportunity less overfighting about terms and risks and things like that.
1: Everything is both a risk and everything is an opportunity today. And so I think you're absolutely right. And it takes us back to both, you know, where's the agency inside business to be creative about this and to be, and to recognize the incredible role of the public sector at the same time, that it's not just about the private sector. That's our focus. And we believe deeply in supporting the change agents that exist inside business and enabling them to kind of drive the innovation within and to make those connections that business needs to make. And so we have programs that are designed to really identify those people and support them and have been at that for a long period of time. That can be very gratifying work. But they today they need to understand this kind of broader context. Nothing moves forward without having a body, body politic kind of believing in the future. And,
0: and so our work is not done. And, and I'm, I'm wondering when you get your groups together, Judy, you get lots and lots of corporate professionals. Is anyone talking about um what is a term? Because the, the thing that woke anything has done is it's a singular term. Yes, it's got may, maybe different flavors, but it's said again and again and again and again. And so the question was, I I mean, I think that the green biz actually said, "Don't use the term ESG; just do the work." So, are there any terms that are coming up at all in terms of both of your, you know, your constituents? That is, is a a, it's it's a complex issue, but a simplified way that we can say it again and again and again and again.
1: Well, I'll be better off if the term recedes, but it's replaced by a clarity about what it means to create long-term value, and. That is That goes by many terms, and it, you know it's specific to the enterprise. In some respects, I think that the, you know, I was talking to a colleague about this a couple of weeks ago, that term falling out of disfavor may be a sign of the success that we're actually seeing, that more companies are actually, they're playing a different game than they were 10 years ago.
2: I think specificity really matters here. Again, we're back to narrative and storytelling and how do I talk about this, right? We don't want to get pulled back into being so simple that it all falls apart and we lose our ability to understand why this is important, why it's a critical moment in time. And so this enormous opportunity we have, this new way that we can sort of behave as a society that makes it sustainable, we cannot let that fall into simplistic rhetoric. And so whenever we hear that, we should push back and say, wait a second, tell us again why this is going to make us more competitive as companies, industries, as a country, why it's going to make us a better society and a planet. Let's get to those questions. And I think, you know, I actually believe people, the general public are plenty smart enough that if they're actually uh, taking down those kinds of conversations, rather than letting the airways fill up with these other conversations that they will then appreciate uh, kind of appreciate this. Um, you know, I share a little story. I, I don't know if you, Carol, if you want me to share it here, I think I mentioned it to you about the excavator operator um, who way up in the North woods of Maine is building a road and a good, fr- a good friend of mine, he leaps out of his cab one day having gotten riled up by listening to one of the cable channels about ESG and woke capitalism and how his pension is being, you know, hijacked by policy. And he doesn't know that I'm engaged in any of this. And he jumps out and he shares his frustration over this. And he says, I just can't believe this is happening. And I said, well, suppose I have a great piece of property for you. Um, It's a wonderful farm. I think it's a terrific deal. You know where it is. It's this town, and I'm going to sell it to you. But I know, I know for a fact that it has a lot of PFAS in the groundwater, that it is going to be facing additional water stress in addition to those contaminations. I know that, but I'm not going to tell you about that. And, of course, he immediately, began, he immediately begins cursing me, right, for my lack, of, my lack of business ethics. And I pursue another example or two. And he looks at me and he says, wait, is that what ESG is about? And then he says, you guys have done a terrible job of bringing us along. So I think we have to embrace the opportunity to tell the right story.
0: So, gosh forbid, we're going to have a book, ESG for Dummies. (laughs) But setting that aside, I would love to just put you guys on the spot and don't worry about it. You're going to meet, I didn't want to tell you this, but tomorrow you're going to have breakfast with Governor DeSantis. And you have the opportunity to crisply challenge his woke capitalism and ESG. Um, So what might you say to Governor DeSantis? And I don't want to put you and make you, you know, blue or red or whatever, but we're trying to clarify and crisp up for that, you know, uh, that that backhoe, that trucker operator. um, So he understands or she understands. And I know it's hard.
2: What I would say is, Governor, could you agree that the things we should aspire for are the most competitive and resilient value creating companies that we can? that are good for your state, that are good for the employees, that are good for your environment and will make your state the most competitive over time as possible, both in its economic progress, but also attracting the world's best and brightest from within our borders and outside our borders to make this state great. Now, if we can agree on that, then why don't we pay attention to the things that underpin that? Some of those things include and I would then go through the material factors that some businesses need to worry about for sustaining their rights to operate. We need to search for that common ground about the core of building a better, more resilient economy that has us positioned for the future as a way to sort of bridge these gaps in rhetoric.
0: So I'd love to then just segue to boards. What is the role of boards in ESG today? Since governance is so much of what they're supposed to give guidance on. Oh, gracious. Oh, gracious.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. Carol. No, no, Carol. I mean,
2: you know, if there was, Judy, maybe I will overdo this and you can pull me back a little bit. But if there is ever a time where unlikely (laughs) board mattered, right? It's a time when you actually have to make choices for the longer run. I did a little analysis recently where I went back and I looked at the CEO 10 years uh, across high emission industries, not oil and gas, energy, utility, and industrials. And I compared that to what is the time remaining in their seat? Okay. And it, it was about three and a half to four years to the median within their industries. And then you're sort of saying, okay, and so everybody's bravely making net zero goals, 2050 net zero goals, announcing plans. Almost any of the transitions we're talking about go well beyond the time of the CEO and yet require the bravery of the CEO right now. Now, who is it that actually is supposed to work alongside management to introduce the right horizon, the right balance? between tomorrow and today. And so if we are honest about, particularly in in, uh, the U.S., our system, the board really has to step up here if we are going to deliver on these promises and this trajectory and this rate of change and this ability to have companies and industries that really are in the right context for the future. This is a legacy moment for most CEOs, But incentives are not out there to create legacies. They're out there to create earnings. And we need the board to put a legacy perspective onto these moments right now.
1: Well said. You know, they need to be designed today to listen differently. Companies that are doing things like taking the, you know, the committee that their entire job was to design the CEO's pay, it's like, well, wait a minute. Is that the only? Is that the only thing we need to think about? when We think about human capital. I don't think so today. So we're starting to see some innovations happen. We're seeing the very first company that I was aware of, Bungie, uh, put a, a chief sustainability officer from you know Starbucks on their board. You know, that's an interesting decision to make. Like, what kind of knowledge do we need? who are our competitors and who are our you know, allies in kind of thinking about biodiversity? I mean, you can't do these things just thinking about one company at a time. The issues by nature are going to bring you into complicated relationships, but ones that do have the potential to stand the test of time if they're designed for future proofing a natural resource. So those kinds of relationships will outlast the people that put them together if they're designed well, and we'll draw from the best talent in, you know, in the world of NGOs and government and, and beyond. And, you know, I don't want to be a Pollyanna here. This None of this is easy. But I do think we're seeing a real change in attitude.
2: Yeah, Judy, I love, I love what you've said. And this notion that, yes, there can be innovation in governance as well. There can be innovation in how we think about the board, right? This is an opportunity to reimagine on almost every single front. And I think that should be enormously exciting. But we also have to be, uh, Judy, to your point, you know, we have to be honest about the challenge of that kind of reimagining. The people who populate most boards today did not have a career where they were trying to make these things happen, unlike many business decisions where you're looking to the wisdom and experience of board directors. For help and partnership to management, because they're hoping that the repository of their histories and experience were analogs to decisions you have to make now.
0: That's that's a great point. Are you are either of you suggesting to boards that they need to add, such as that sustainability board member, so they need to get, dare I say, younger, hipper. You know, much more in tune with the complexity and changes in the world today. You can't see it, our listeners, but we're, getting, we're seeing shaking heads. Hey, I hate to end this, but what I'd love to do is I always like to give the final say to my guests.
1: Well, I think it takes you back to your favorite, it takes you back to your favorite topic, Carol, purpose. I mean, this to me, it starts with the purpose of the corporation. Intentions, it starts with intentions and getting clear on why your company exists, what you aim to do, that starts to reveal what is materially important. Today, the path forward is getting clearer, even though it's going to be very discreet in terms of each company needing to create its own path and figuring out what's ahead for them.
2: That anchoring in on purpose, particularly when times are messy and complicated, is a good way to navigate through you you know it is the compass that ought to be that ought to be guiding i would add to that it is the thing that should help set ambition it is the thing that should make us hungry for imagination it is the thing that hopefully powers innovation our willingness to innovate all aspects right now and this can be the most exciting time in business uh, that we've seen in the last five decades, and it will set the platforms for structural competitive advantage for the next decade or two. So, um, you know, we should embrace it. We should have that ambition and we should understand it's messy. Let's figure it out.
0: That's wonderful. Both of you, you know, we started out about ESG and then we got into the political and cultural wars, but it's truly about better business. And yeah, it's not, I mean, you know, maybe we should use that term. It's not ESG, it's better business. I want to thank both of you. This has been a great conversation. So thank you, David Young. Thank you, Judy Samuelson. If I can join with
2: Judy, count me in.
0: (laughs) Thanks, This podcast was brought to you by some amazing people, and I'd love to thank them. Anne Hundertmark and Kristen Kenny at Carol Cohn on Purpose, Pete Wright and Andy Nelson, our crack production team at True Story FM, and you, our listener. You know, we love hearing from you, so please give us feedback. Let us know names of people you'd like to hear on a future episode. How about some new questions to ask? And also please rate and rank us because we really want to be as high as possible as one of the top business podcasts available so that we can continue exploring together the importance and the activation of authentic purpose. We all know every company, every brand, every not-for-profit must define their purpose, refine it and activate it and evolve it over time So it has the greatest impact on business, growth, and society. And by listening to these episodes and sharing them with your colleagues and talking about them, I want to inspire you to have an amazing answer to this question. What is the power of your purpose? Thanks so much for listening.